The following podcast contains movie spoilers, unpopular opinions, outdated pop cultural references, and occasional f***ing language. Listener discretion is advised. In three, two, one. Yes. Rolling sound, quiet. Good day, good world. You're tuned to Subgenre, a podcast about the movies. I'm your host, Josh Dassel. On Subgenre, we get specific about films outside the main categories, and in season one, we're exploring the briny depths of submarine movies. In today's episode, we're going for an unexpected and nail-biting sea cruise in a stolen U-boat. This movie stars Oscar-winning Lincoln salesman Matthew McConaughey, Game Over Man Bill Paxton, and the wolf himself Harvey Keitel in a World War II-era ocean thriller. All right, all right, all right. It's U-571. And joining me by Zoom to chat about this big screen battle pick is a celebrated writer. He writes for the stage. He writes for the page. He writes for video games. That didn't rhyme, but I tried. And he's a man who I think has pretty serious opinions about tacos as well. It's Alan Mall. Hey, Alan. Hey, Josh. Great to be here. Good to have you here. I'm so happy to be sitting down with you and talking about U571 because as I found out in the process of asking you to do this show, you're like a big U571 fan. I did see this movie multiple times in the theater as a young man. And part of that was it was the year 2000. We didn't have streaming video. We didn't have iPhones. And so what did a bunch of teenage guys do when they didn't have dates on a Friday night? They went down to the Concord Mills multiplex and we watched a submarine movie. Where did you grow up? In Charlotte, North Carolina. In Charlotte, so North a, Carolina. Yeah, it was a uh, like a discount mall that was close to my neighborhood in North Charlotte. So one of the few big movie theaters when stadium seating was a novelty. We all rolled down there. You got to have stadium seating when you go to see submarine movies. I'm, I'm behind you 100% on that one. So I, I must confess, this is the first time I have seen this movie. So I know this oh. thing, it came out a long time ago. I know you're a big fan. I know that that is probably a sin somewhere, but this was my first time watching it. So uh, I hope you're the proud of me. Comment, yes, I am deeply proud of you. Because my main, the thing I always would tell people about U571 is, Everyone's got movies that they loved when they were a young person. And then when they watch them when they're an adult, it brings them a different kind of perspective. You know, when you watch movies about teenagers beating the crap out of like grown men and ninja movies as a kid, when you watch it as an adult, all of the editing looks terrible. You're like, I don't know why I ever thought this was good. Sometimes movies are better when you see them as an adult. I mean, I like the sound of music fine as a kid, but watching it as an adult, you're like, oh, I get why this is a classic. The cinematography is beautiful. The songs work great. U571 is the rare movie that I feel the exact same way about it now that I did when I was 17 watching it for the first time. Like, it just takes me back because it's a thematically uncomplicated World War II sub flick. It's got a good good plot. The action scenes are nice and tense. And the production values have a good amount of polish on it. Well, the thing, the thing I want to know before we dive too deeply into this film is, am I proper to say U571, U571... Is there a specific way that, that we are supposed to be saying this? Everyone in the film says U571, Josh. And who are we to disagree with a Nazi submarine captain and all of his crew? Never, You know what I was going to say? Never disagree with Nazis. Always disagree with Nazis. Always, yeah, always, always disagree with Nazis. Except when it comes to how you pronounce the name That's of right. the titular sub. Well, speaking of titular subs, uh, <laughs> but I turn it over to you. Do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about this film? Give us the setup. What are we watching? Sure thing. So it was the year 2000. 
You can imagine that in the Conan O'Brien voice if you want. You know, it had the uh, the great Matthew McConaughey, like, before he became, like, uh, the spokesman for Lincoln and won his Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. This was after Dazed and Confused, though. So, you know, you just imagine him being like, you know, I need to do something more serious. I've got to be an aspiring captain of a submarine. Oh, yeah. You both, yeah. And you got uh, Bill Paxton, as made famous by his Game Over Man line in Aliens, plays the like a sterling captain that Matthew McConaughey looks up to and Harvey Keitel, the wolf himself from Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs plays the chief who is kind of like the, uh, the top like non-com officer that works with these guys in the, in the submarine. It's, it's a good cast. We, we can say that. Oh yeah. As long as you, as long as you don't need to have any um, women involved that you would recognize <laughs> by name, this is a great movie. This, <laughs> I love that, like, I mean, I don't love it, but it's like, I completely accept that they're like, they didn't even make an attempt to pass the Bechtel test. I think like two women get to speak in the entire movie and they're gone in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I, I think we had a similar conversation about Crimson Tide, and I believe we could probably have the same conversation about nearly every submarine film that we were going to cover this season, save one. And I'm telling you, there is a market for an all-female uh, submarine flick, so... Get, get on that to get made yeah we got a cast to die for we got a director on this jonathan mosto what do we, what do we know about jonathan mosto yeah so you might recognize him his name from uh terminator 3 rise of the machines also known as the one that arnold schwarzenegger cashed in on <laughs> after long after the second one came out he also directed a uh, breakdown killer so, movie know, some some big blockbuster films that lots of people saw Produced by uh, Dino and Marta uh, De Laurentiis, who did Flash Gordon, Barbarella, and Hannibal with Anthony Hopkins. And then you do you you do you do Flash Gordon and Barbarella, and then the the obvious follow up to those two eventually is a submarine flick yeah, with uh, with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Uh, director Mostel also worked together with Sam Montgomery and David Ayer, who, who was the screenwriter for Fast and the Furious and Training Day, to put together this screenplay for this bad boy. So we're working on, I think it was like a, it was like a 60 plus million dollar budget they had on yeah. this thing. And that's in, in 2000, that's pretty good money for, for, in, for making a flick. Indeed. Yeah. Like the production values on this one, I think are like one of my favorite things about it. It doesn't, it, it ages very well in that regard. And today it sounds like it grossed to like, you know, just, just north of 120 million worldwide. So they made their money back. Which is, which and, is great. That's what you want to do. It's exactly what you want to do, especially if you want to be asked to make movies again. I've, uh, <laughs> it's always nice when the person that pays you actually gets a return for their work. That's right. And they got an Oscar. They got an they got Oscar. For best sound editing. For best sound I mean, editing. You know, like, I'm not sure if anyone got into this, because I mean, one of the things I love about this movie is I feel like it had its ambitions set at a very like safe place. So you know that they had to be happy to have walked away with an Academy Award for this one. They were like, "This is this is one. Of, this is a workmanlike effort from a lot of the people that are involved." But yeah, they, they knew exactly what they were making and they executed on it. It sounds like we've got a well on paper, at least, or from the from the mouth of Alan Mall. We have a we have a great movie sitting in front of us to pay attention to. So maybe let's talk about our feature presentation. Our feature presentation today, of course, is U571. In a nutshell, a story about kind of like a, a heist of a submarine trying to find an Enigma code machine story meets like 
a road movie. It's an interesting combination of things. Who among us has not (laughs) stolen someone's vehicle and then realized it was a much worse vehicle than it actually was? Absolutely. Every every vehicle I steal, by the way, has an Enigma code machine inside. It just turns, it it tends to work out that way. This one, of course, starts in uh, the spring of 1942. This is kind of height of World War II, Atlantic Ocean, we'll call them hijinks, with submarines chasing one another. Um, Hitler's U-boats are sinking ships all over the Atlantic, like a thousand uh, allied ships are are getting sunk. And part of the reason that is possible is because the Nazis have an unbreakable code. And the codes that the U-boats are sending back and forth to one another are encoded and decoded by what's called an Enigma code machine. Yeah, this, the, the Enigma was a real thing. That was something that like uh, the allies like struggled to figure out how they were going to break. And so if you, like me, have spent any amount of time on a Saturday afternoon bored on the History Channel, you have probably seen something about the Enigma code machine pop up. I have indeed. We start out actually with the Germans, which is kind of an interesting place to start out in this mm. movie instead of with our American friends. But we start out with a, a German sub. They're on the hunt. They find a destroyer, which they engage. They they engage something. What do they engage at the beginning? They engage something. They destroy it. Boom. But behind them, oh no, there's a torpedo that comes at them, I guess, then from the destroyer behind them. And so they are are trying to get away from it. It's just this big action scene that starts everything, which by the way, has this amazing piece of action in it I never really thought about, which was how do you get a sub back then to dive super deep really fast? You rush all your guys from one end of the submarine to the other one and put all the weight on one side. You gotta make it heavy. (laughs) You gotta gotta make it heavy. The the captain even eats an orange in order to add some extra mass before he runs to that end of the ship. That is the level of detail that he's bringing. That was quite honestly one of my favorite, right here in the beginning of the movie, that was one of my favorite things that I got to watch was all these guys running to sort of make this submarine tilt on end and go down faster so they can get away from the depth charges, which is great. So they they do it, the sub dives, everybody sits in silence, you know, waiting to, to see if they're going to die or not. We end up with some explosions and leaking fuel and there's a fire on board and this sub, uh, this uh, German sub then is forced to surface. They get to the surface. All their mechanics are dead. It's just uh, the the rest of the crew floating out there and they've got nowhere to go. And so they're, yes. they're stuck. And a nice bit of exposition, you hear the captain say like, you know, oh no, we only have enough power to submerge and maybe move around a little bit. Like, you know, just so you... So you get a little lead in later that they'll be trying to do something with the sub moving around, but they don't know what they're going to do. So they call Berlin, as you do when you're when you're a German sub that's stuck in the middle of the ocean. They call Berlin. Hey, Berlin, we're stuck. Uh, can you send somebody to help us? And uh, and they do that using the Enigma code machine. code machine. So after this opening sequence, this action-packed opening opening sequence to sort of set up what U five seven one is, we meet Lieutenant Andy Tyler, played by Matthew McConaughey. Yes, who is sitting in a car. But he's reading a letter in the car before he goes inside. We can just make out that he doesn't look too happy with what he has discovered in there. And when he goes in, all the sailors love him. They're offering to smoke cigars with him. They want to hang out. One guy wants him to meet his mom. <laughs> that is the kind of guy that Andy Tyler is. This is what happens when I enter any room, Alan. So he, go, he goes into this party. Everybody's like, like, hey, Andy, we love you. You know, come, come do this. Come do that. Andy politely says, yep, I will. Yep, I will. And I'll be back in a moment. But really what he's doing is he is heading across the room toward the table of Lieutenant Commander Dahlgren, played by Bill Paxton, to have a little chat and uh, shows him his letter. And uh, 
isn't very happy about it. Yes. Lieutenant Tyler has not gotten command of a boat. And anybody that's ever wanted a boat and not gotten it knows that there's a very sinking feeling that you get when you know that you're not going to be able to in charge at the helm of something. And A sinking feeling about a sub? Sorry. Yeah, uh, no, I wrote, I, I wrote that down. I was trying my best. And apologies, everyone. You can hit 15 seconds forward on this section if you need to. But he, anyway. he doesn't get his boat. He doesn't get his boat, and he blames Dahlgren and says, the only way I didn't get this boat is if you said I shouldn't, and Bill Paxton tells him he, he doesn't think he's ready. He can't handle it. He's just not captain material at this point. Something that gets developed a bit further later, but you just like, you know, it's the, it, it is the, like, you're not ready for this sun kind of moment. And then, just to rub it in, like, you know, there's a moment where, like, Tyler's outside, like, kind of stewing in his own juices, and Harvey Keitel, Chief Henry Clow, comes out to, like, console him, and Chief admits that he knew right away that, that he was not going to get his boat, and he yeah. didn't warn him. You know, you said maybe you have mixed feelings in the beginning about Chief because of, you know, him not telling Tyler he didn't get his boat, but don't worry, uh, we're going to feel better about Harvey Keitel uh, later on. Um, that. That consoling session and the the argument between uh, Dahlgren and Tyler and all the dancing and the will you meet my mom uh, gets broken up pretty quickly. The MPs show up. Liberty passes are are over everybody because you have been ordered back to sea on a special mission. And I love this because every single war movie has to have the moment where you see the guys when they're not fighting. And U-571 is incredibly efficient about being like, all right, you've had that moment. Now we are going, <laughs> we are going back to sea, damn it. <laughs> have you danced? Have we heard, have we heard uh, a, a little bit of, duh, 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 duh. okay, great. Then everybody yeah, back in the boat. Over, back on the boat. <laughs> so they're loading up the boat at the uh, Portsmouth Naval shipyard. And then, like uh, to, to uh, Tyler's dismay, and I think the chief literally says this, like, you know, this thing looks like a goddamn Nazi submarine. And yes, so, the S-33, yeah. we'll, we'll give the boat its name. The S-33 yes. is, what, is what they're going to get on. But yeah, it looks like a Nazi submarine. They're dolling it up to look like it's getting ready to go meet the Fuhrer, and no one no one knows why, but we're going to find out. Yeah, and and, and, <laughs> and this is this just seems like the right moment then. To uh, to introduce Lieutenant live on a Prayer, yeah, it's it's the it's the moment where where uh, you know living on a prayer maybe starts, and, and we introduce Lieutenant Pete Emmett as played by, good Lord, as played by John the Bon Jovi. Oh mm. my gosh, the Bon Jovi himself. Why? <laughs> See, this is the staggering thing: is uh, John Bon Jovi like really wanted to make it as an actor? Like he showed up in so many things. Yeah, John Bon Jovi, I think, was in the sequel to one of my favorite movies. Like he was in Young Guns Two or something. He was indeed. So yeah, Bon Jovi's been in some stuff. I'm not. I'm not knocking, you know, Bon Jovi as trying to be an actor. I think I'm just going. When you thought about the guy that was going to be in the submarine movie, John Bon Jovi was what you came up with. Okay, uh, great. <laughs> Hey man, it's 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 his life, you might say. Oh, so. oh. very surprising. Uh, what I thought would be a cameo is not a cameo. He sticks around for a while, which is great. Lieutenant Pete Emmett, Dahlgren tells everybody that orders have changed. We're going to get on this boat. We're going to go do some special stuff. No one knows if this is a drill. Dahlgren says it's a special op and he tells Tyler, look, I know I didn't give you your boat, but I'm going to need your best from you. Can you give it to me? And uh, Tyler's like, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll give you my best. I'm Matthew McConaughey. I don't know any other setting than your, my best. So, <laughs> This is where we get the scene that sort of sets up what is supposed to happen, which is that Dahlgren kind of whispers to Tyler and says, hey, Tyler, you know that guy Wentz on the ship? Can you bring that guy to my office and let's just chat? And so Tyler's like, yeah, okay. Goes and gets Wentz, takes him to the office. And in the office is not just Dahlgren, but there's also an admiral and there's also another guy named Lieutenant 
Is it Hirsch? Hirsch. Yeah, yes, Lieutenant indeed. Hirsch. Another, another good German name. Right, which it helps to have a German name when we start talking about exactly what the special ops mission is going to be. Yes, indeed. Hirsch is basically just starts talking to Wentz in German, finding out like where he came from and everything else. And you and like you come to find out that Wentz, like you know, is half German, grew up in, over on the other side of the pond, and speaks fluent Deutsch. And so with that, like, you know, it's like you, you get the sense like, oh, okay, like Matthew McConaughey's character, Tyler, is just kind of like looking like, oh, I had no idea you eat, you spoke German or even were half German. And then on the way out, just to make sure we know it's a World War II movie, Wentz tells like Matthew McConaughey, like, God, just don't tell the other guys that I'm half German. They'll hate me. <laughs> just to make it nice and easy for us. Just like, you know, it's like Germans are the bad guys and I don't want them to think I'm one. In that situation, I did feel sorry for him because... He, he's trying to keep it on the DL, you know, that he's Indeed. that he's got German heritage and he's fighting against them in the submarine with the Americans. And here's the, uh, not not only is he being outed, um, but he's kind of being asked to like out it in the in the biggest way possible to be part of this mission and kind of a, kind of a linchpin in, in what they're going to do, which is we don't know yet, right? We don't we don't know what they're going to do. We still have not found out what the mission is. That's the best part. We, ju- we just know it involves speaking German. So so then you've got right before everybody gets on the boat, um, or while we're still loading stuff, we get the introduction of maybe another piece of that puzzle, which is uh, Major Matthew Coonan, who is played by an actor named David Keith, who announces himself as being from O and I, the Office of Naval Intelligence points over to the truck and says, uh, somebody needs to get my gear. And his gear turns out to be a big bunch of explosives. With explosives on the box. <laughs> I love it. It's like watching Gone with the Wind when they go into like the factory filled with gunpowder is written on all of like the barrels. Like, you know something is going to explode. It is written on the box. Like, <laughs> it doesn't get better foreshadowing than that. We get that foreshadowing. And in the next scene where we cast off, we get the other foreshadowing, which is where some guys in the bunks, I think, talking about how deep the boat should go and how deep it shouldn't, and 150 feet is set as the uh, uh, essentially the crush depth for for that sub. Don't go below 150. And they they cast off, and I watch submarine movies, and that's like a big thing where you see the boat go out to sea and they dive and everything. This one really makes sure that we have that moment. We have stirring music. We have a sunset. We have just every possible thing from every submarine movie uh, that Mosto has seen makes it into, I think, this casting off scene. Yeah, the only thing you need more than this, more American than this, is just like a bald eagle shedding a tear that turns <laughs> red, white, and blue before it hits the Atlantic. I mean, it's just like it's that kind of energy. And that's one more reason why I love this movie. It's a throwback, like, you know, patriotic WW2. Like, we're going we're gonna to fight the Nazis and save the day. Yes. <laughs> while after they do that okay so we get this nice moment where we sail into the sunset uh and then we dive and once we're underneath the water this is where the mission becomes clear because kunin addresses the rest of them and says okay here's the deal what we are going to do is a trojan horse mission so there's a reason our submarine is painted like a nazi submarine and there's a reason why i brought all of these nazi uniforms onto the boat that just happened to fit you, by the way. Yes. Um, I've, I've brought these here is because we are going to get together as a boarding party and we are going to try to board U571. Yes, like they've triangulated where the damaged like U-boat is that we saw in the very beginning of the movie. They have this Enigma machine. If we can capture it before they realize we have it, we can crack the code, we can save the war effort. And I mean, like it even puts those stakes in there. We are losing, like this is going to like decide if we win the war or not. So just so you know, like the stakes are super high. Oh, and by the way, we are racing a German resupply boat to get to U571. We got to get there before it does. And oh, by the way, Tyler 
you're going to be part of this party. So Matthew McConaughey, uh, you know, A, you didn't get to be captain, and B, you're going to get killed going to board a Nazi sub. Congratulations. Yeah, the best part, yeah, Tyler is like any good, like, um, experienced officers. Like, you do realize my guys are all sailors. They're not, like, combat Marines. And, like, the other guy's like, don't worry, I'll train them myself. And all I can think to myself is, like, Oh, so now you're gonna be running around your your boat just like practicing playing soldier with all these guys that aren't used to doing this. But we don't get to see those scenes. We just have it summed up. That's the training montage that I was there for, and we didn't get it. But we, but what we did get is we we get sort of a, a an establishing of stakes. Not that you didn't understand it before, but we get this scene back on the disabled uh, German sub where they just happen to encounter a lifeboat full of passengers from I don't know. The Titanic that <laughs> that have been floating for <laughs> forever out there. This is one of those scenes that, like, just in case we weren't already rooting against the Nazis, we get to see them see a bunch of castaways on like a, <laughs> a little dinghy out there in like the uh, the Atlantic, and like the, the the Nazi captain is like tells the guy with the machine gun, "Shoot them! We can't take survivors." <laughs> it's like we get to see the Nazis just shoot a bunch like that dozen guys that are not named or part of the part of the movie <laughs> otherwise. I know I'm laughing at this moment, but and I shouldn't be, but it it's just such a ridiculous moment in the best way possible. It's like you said, it's just a boat full of nameless, faceless people that show up and are like, hello, we need some help. And then and the Nazis are like, let's be Nazis and shoot and shoot them all so that we understand that when others approach later, they they might meet the same fate. Yeah, Nazism doesn't pay, so, you know. So so we're jumping back and forth between subs, but we jump back from the German sub to uh, the American sub. Guys are laying in their bunks and having this discussion, and we get this introduction to Seaman Mazzola, who, by the way, is one of my favorite people in this movie, played by an actor named Eric Palladino. Essentially scaring the new guys with a story about this other submarine called the S-22. We had established earlier that 150 feet, you should never go below 150 feet or life will suck. And he says, oh, hey, did you hear about the S-22 though? It sank to 400 feet. And what happened when it sank to 400 feet? And he grabs an egg uh, that's that, you know laying around nearby. This is what happened. And squish. I feel like every actor who's like ever done a monologue in like a high school theater class has wanted to have a moment like like uh, Mozilla gets in this moment just to like take me to grab an egg in your fist and crack it in front of everyone. It's a wonderful moment. I love that the egg just happens to be there at the right yeah. time for this point to be made. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, that's that's good props, you know. <laughs> Use it. Yes, yeah, so every time you're auditioning for a show, bring an egg. I'm carrying no an egg. Will, yeah. They will remember you forever, and <laughs> maybe not for good reasons, but hey. So following our egg scene, Dahlgren, Bill Paxton, pulls aside Tyler and says, okay, look, here's the reason why I didn't make you captain. Because basically, I think you're too good a guy. If you're a Captain, you kind of just have to be a cold-blooded bastard and be willing to sacrifice even your best friends at a moment's notice in order to save everybody else or achieve the mission or whatever it may be. To be a captain, you got to be able to shoot your best friend. End of lesson. Yeah, this is one of the wackiest things about this movie to me. And I kind of love that the writers took this on as a challenge. They essentially said, okay, every other war movie involves someone going from being afraid and selfish to being heroic and selfless. We're going to take a guy who's already heroic and selfless and make him learn that he has to sacrifice other people to be an effective leader. I feel like um, there's definitely some like uh, corporate assholes out there that are trying to learn how to tell their 
middle managers to be bigger assholes at work. And they're like, you know what movie I should show them? U571. Because like this character, like, you know, it's like had to learn that he needed to leave bodies in his wake before he would get his damn submarine. And that's the kind of attitude that I want you to bring to your sales division. But yeah, it's like, he's telling him, it's like, you know, it's like, because you're not willing to make the hard decisions that will get people killed. You do not have what it takes to be a submarine captain. And like, so you, it's funny that we've set up Tyler's arc and that literally the way for him to fulfill this is to show that he can make the hard decisions and get people killed while saving the entire sub. But that's kind of the thing that you, we get, I get fixated on right away listening <laughs> to this. It's like, uh-oh, folks are going to die and it's not going to be Tyler. Well, well, right. It's not going to be Tyler. Well, well, then, well, then let's make life harder. Let's make life harder because it's right then that they get a radar uh, contact. They, they know where the German sub is. They see the subs, the lamp, you know, up on the, uh, the conning tower of the sub. And so now it's time to play dress up and get in the boat and go over. So all of our guys who are not mercenaries dress up in the, the uniforms. They get their guns. They board the little dinghies, essentially, and yeah. start to row over to this submarine that is crawling with Nazis with machine guns, and they just keep getting closer and closer. Yeah, and one thing this movie does effectively throughout is like it plays with that tension of just like, oh, are they, is it going to work? Is it going to work? Is it going to work? And you're watching all of them just get closer and closer, and you have this, and these German guys are shouting questions at them, and like you just realize none of the characters except for Hirsch and like Wentz actually understand anything they're saying. <laughs> this great moment of like i think someone like who's next to hirsch is just like elbowing the intelligence guy saying like hey maybe you should say something to these guys so they know they can trust us and hirsch is frozen solid with fear like can't get a, a heil hitler out of his mouth you know to nothing and you you just watch Wentz sitting there going i'm gonna have to do this i'm gonna have to speak german out loud i'm gonna have to do it and surprise all of his friends that we know do not know that he is german right <laughs> so right and, right. And Wentz doesn't just speak a little German. Like, Wentz is straight up fluent. So, you know, you've got uh, 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 Hirsch just sort of abandoning ship mentally. And so Wentz eventually has to speak up and, and says, you know, basically, hey, guys, we're, we're here to fix things. We're mechanics. Which which kickstarts Hirsch talking his German as well. Yeah, and I love that like Wentz's way of like immediately gaining camaraderie with these guys is like, hey, I brought you the finest French pornography that I possibly could bring, <laughs> and all of the Nazi guys are just like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. I can trust this guy because he brought me like French smut that I can read. <laughs> this is anyway. I, I think that may be how we met. I guess. <laughs> I yeah, brought you the best, the best, the best French pornography money can buy. So all of them are like, they're, everything seems like it's going great. Like Hirsch and Wentz have like started speaking German. They're, they're all pulling them onto the ship. Like Tyler, Matthew McConaughey's character is on there. He ha- It's like, you know, he's there with all of them. And it seems like everything's going to be fine. And then the captain notices that one of their rescue party is, it has a weapon under his coat and that, he, yeah. that he's preparing to draw out. And he does one of the best like lines you always want to hear from a German guy in distress. Alarm! alarm! <laughs> oh, I, if I had a if I had a nickel for every time we get alarm in in a movie with the Nazis in it, including by the way, a, one of the best uses of it in what is it, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, mm. uh, when the wall turns around and there's the lady sitting there listening to code and she sees them and smiles really big and goes, alarm! That's <laughs> oh, the best. So a gun anyway. is sighted. A gun is sighted. Alarm is yelled. All hell breaks loose, and our guys uh, manage to fight their way aboard this boat, at least onto uh, the deck of the boat with 
minor casualties. I think we get a couple of people shot, but managed to get one of whom is John Bon Jovi's character. One of whom is John Bon Jovi. Poor guy. Yeah, Poor guy. Does not make it. His agent did not get him a bigger role in this in this, in this <laughs> flick. Well, at least at least that's how they kept the budget as low. You know where it is now. If John Bon Jovi would have had a longer part, the budget would have exploded. It's very true. It's uh-huh. very true. So they so make they get on they yeah. get on board and like start to take the ship by storm. And this is my favorite scene in the movie because you don't see this kind of stuff on a lot of submarine movies. Like they're going through and like guns are drawn but they don't know where everybody's hiding in there so there's this kind of like cat and mouse like really tense moment of like looking through bunks and like hiding behind bulkheads like they're trying to figure out like who are the last few armed people in this ship that we've got to get out and they managed to do it and they saved the code books and so they've got the enigma machine they've secured everything that they need to do it looks like it's all worked out a couple of great things i think about this scene and i agree with you this is one of the better scenes in the movie for me is first to get off the damn deck because the they're standing up on the deck and the German captain is still in the ship and he's like dive the boat like we we can That's die right, yeah. and so so they're trying they're trying to close the top hatch to keep these guys out so that they can dive the boat and in the meantime our guys are like trying to like crowbar their way into this thing and and throw throw smoke grenades, grenades down through the hole yeah. yeah and so that's how they managed to get their way down into the boat which is cool to begin with but then like you said as they make their way through the boat from from you know one end to the other you get this nice establishing of the geography of the boat and so they're, they're going from this compartment to this compartment to this compartment. You sort of understand what's at the front, what's in the middle, and what's in the back, which will come in handy later um, because we're going to be having simultaneous action on the bridge and in the torpedo room, uh, which are kind of at opposite ends of the ship. Indeed. Like you said, they managed to get the Enigma off the boat, and they've got the code books, and they're like dry. I remember they're drying, trying to dry the code books out because the Nazis were, were sort of trying to you know waterlog them and get rid of them. We managed to get out of the boat and set explosives, by the way, in the meantime, with a big, long fuse. Yeah, they're going to scuttle the damaged boat because they don't, they don't want to have to bring it home. Because, again, reiterating, the U-571 is not in good shape. They're going to get back to their functional submarine and get the hell home. And they're going to take prisoners. The, the entire back of that boat was full of, of uh, sailors that they now have to take out with them. And so they get back topside. Everybody's going to go board the landing craft to go back to the submarine from which they came, except for there is a problem. It's I love this moment. Like Bill Paxton, the captain of like the American sub, is like watching happily as everything's going well. Then he turns around and he sees a little something kind of going through the water. It's a little trail going. It's almost like... Is that a torpedo? And then his ship blows the hell up. Yeah, the the whole the whole S thirty three just erupts, and there's nothing left of. It. I mean, just boom. And so the ship that we could go back to, the working car that we could go back to, uh, is no longer working. And everybody that we knew back on that ship, they're done for. Uh, uh, Bill Paxton is floating in the water, dying as we watch him. It really is game over, man. At this moment, and it's I think game I over. Reading. That like um this this movie got a PG thirteen rating and I heard that the original cut was given an R because apparently they blew off Bill Paxton's head. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I think like that's when like the ratings board was like, no sir, you can't you can't blow a man's head off and get a PG thirteen rating. You're going to have to cut that out of the film. And so we just see Bill Paxton floating in the water. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's in the book for the Academy. Like if you want in in the regulations, like you know. The line between R and PG-13 is whether or not Bill Paxton's head is blown off in a movie. Yeah, the first day of film school is one of the things they told me. <laughs> you, know, you want a bigger audience. 
So he's, he's floating out in the water. He's dying. He manages in the dark with an exploded ship and apparently one eye blown out of socket, which we kind of get to see, to find Matthew McConaughey over on this boat and tell him, take her down, dive yeah. deep, leave, leave me behind and get yourself to safety. This is what you need to do. You know, mm-hmm. Captain sort of paying off that speech from before. So, yeah, they, and then so all the guys now, the U 571 Nazi submarine that they have loaded up with explosives, they now must dash down back into it and then pinch all of those fuses that are going <laughs> to stop their ship from blowing up because that is now the only functional submarine that they have. That is the most Bugs Bunny shit I have, <laughs> I have seen in a I long time. It. It's them wandering around basically like licking their fingers and pinching the <laughs> pinching the fuses to keep the boat from blowing up. And yeah, it's this great like scramble that like to, just to get the boat moving, to get it diving and like once they find and then because they know the ship that just blew up their like the their submarine, the American one, is still out there. So they have to like find they have to like, you know, basically retaliate against the like other the German resupply ship that was trying to blow them up. You've got this very cool scene, sort of a continuation of that, you know, when they were trying to board and that was like a very cool moment to get on the sub. Now you've got this first moment of them actually having to figure out how to drive the damn thing. Because uh, it's all written in German. And it's all in German. For- it's yeah. all in German. And the, and the, like the green lights are, you know, it's the white for green. The green lights aren't green and the red lights aren't red and, and everything's in German. And they're having to figure out on the fly how to make this boat work so that they don't get blown up. Yeah. And so it's it's, it's tense and like um, Wins is running around like telling them like, okay, Clark, that means clear. You need to go do this one. And like he's helping. He's basically like, you know telling them what what does what all around the ship so they can get their their torpedoes like locked and loaded and pointed at the, the uh, German resupply submarine while they're dodging the torpedoes that are being shot at them by the other one. And this is like, there's this great moment of like, they turn the sub just enough for one of the torpedoes to hit them, but scrape by instead of detonating. If it wasn't supposed to be a serious scene, it would be a hysterical scene because it's, it's sort of like the Matrix. Like they're. I was gonna say that. Yes. Yeah. They're just so, they're just like like this like sort of slow bullet time you know move as the torpedo just zips right past them. It's it's it goes nicely in the torpedo shaped like it groove on the side of the ship. Yeah. So. And inside inside the ship, you know, they're going nuts, you know, trying to figure out uh, how to find things. And thankfully, we have Harvey Keitel. Thankfully, we have Chief, who is there to to sort of keep everybody's heads on and say, okay, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. Two of the people that Chief is trying to keep their heads on straight are uh, who we will come to know as Trigger and as Rabbit. Uh, Rabbit played by an actor named Will Estes and Trigger uh, played by an actor named Tom Geary. And Tom Geary, though much older now than he was then was Scotty Smalls from the Sandlot. Oh man, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Now, now I've got to rewatch the Sandlot as crucial research on uh, submarine movies. I had no idea. It's like seeing him in this movie was was like seeing Ricky Schroeder in, in Crimson Tide. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's my childhood intruding on, on this very adult film that's happening. It's very, Indeed. very disconcerting. Not distracting at all. And so these guys are running around going crazy, trying to make this German sub work. They do, like you said, they're swerving and torpedoes are, are going in different directions. Everybody thinks that all of the torpedoes have missed until one doesn't. And it hits the other sub by sheer luck and blows it up. And suddenly U571 is safe. Uh, for the time being, and it allows them to 
to surface. To resurface and find uh, whatever survivors they can. And uh, one of whom is uh, Stuart Eddie Carson, who has the, I'm not sure if you can call this the good fortune, to be the only African-American character in this movie. And, th- and this is something that I think they had to really had to reckon with when you're making a World War II movie is because yeah. most units were not integrated back then. And he's a really good character. And we do see him a little earlier in the movie. Like he he is the guy who brings the egg essentially mm-hmm. for, for Eric Palladino's scene uh, or earlier on. But they managed to fish Eddie Carson, um, played by T.C. Carson, by the way. So, uh, yeah. uh, it's always no, convenient when you have the same name. That's right. That's right. Why not? Um, yeah. um, but they, they fish him from the water. He seems to be about the only person they fish from the water. I think that's still alive. It just happens to be him. Except for a, uh, a German sailor that they can't quite identify what he does, but all the audience knows, oh, this is the captain of U571. And so they're confronting him like a bunch of guys that don't speak German are confronting him and trying to figure out what his job was on the ship so they can maybe get us some help. And he says, oh, uh, he tries to say that he's an electrician and then makes the universal sound of wires connecting going and so they're like, oh, electrician, you can help us fix the ship. Because of course, you should always trust the Nazi prisoner that you've pulled out of the water to help you do what you need. If there's anybody you can trust, it's the Nazi prisoner that you pull out of the water. Am I right or am I right? Yeah, yeah. you totally wouldn't shoot a bunch of castaways or... Definitely not. Uh, it it, set, it sets us up for a rockin' good time, I think, in the second half of U571. But uh, before we talk about that, let's take a break. If you've listened to other podcasts, and really by this point, we're going to assume you have, then you've probably heard our name, Kabunki the silliest name in superb podcasts and creative video. We produce the shows you can't wait to binge, like the acclaimed Art Curious podcast. And of course, this thing, can we call it a show? Oh, sure we can. Subgenre. But did you know we're also available to creatively consult on your podcast too? That's right. We're here to turn your hobby into a professional-grade production that sounds just like the storytelling, discussion, or investigative podcast you download, all with help from our award-winning team. Treat your show seriously and get noticed with help from Kabunki. Mention this ad to get 10% off your first consultation. Find out more at kabonki.com. That's kabunki.com. Kabunki. Com. Kabunki. Oh, that's going to leave a mark. You're listening to Subgenre. I am here talking about the movie U571 with Mr. Alan Mall. Alan, how you doing, bud? Great, man. Could not be better. Sipping on scotch, talking to a friend about one of the greatest sub movies made in the year 2000. Just generally, we're dealing with the subgenre of submarine films. Are you a submarine film guy, or is it just U five seven one? Oh, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, it's a great genre of movies in general. I can't say that I've seen all of them because I know that just for our conversations, like outside of this podcast, like you've named a couple that I had literally never heard of. But it is one that when someone says, like, yeah, it's a movie, like you know, and they're on a submarine, I'm like, okay, yeah, let's let's keep going. I want to find out how this goes because yeah, you're you're literally dealing with a 
constrained like set environment for most of the movie and i love right. how that like tightens the story and forces it to like be really specific no sub submarine movies and prison movies like if i could just watch those for the rest mm-hmm. of my life i think i'm in, i think i'm in a good place <laughs> um there are certain things about uh about submarine movies just generally and i guess specifically on some that i like and there are sometimes things in the the movie that maybe bring everything to a crashing halt and we call those subpar <laughs> So in U five seven one, I found a subpar, and I want to get your gosh, I want to gosh, get your thought. I know, I know, it may be sacrilege, but I want to talk about this. Okay, this movie came out in what two thousand? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a simpler time. It's a simpler time. It came out in two thousand. There was a moment, and it's at the beginning of the film that just threw me out of this film for a minute which is in the first scene where the German submarine is chasing its boat and it blows up whatever it's going to blow up. And then the, the destroyer is on its tail and, and is, is coming after it. The boat that it blows up, when it explodes, you get this nice shot of it, like from the air of, it, of the torpedo hitting and it blowing up. But it's absolutely a completely digitally created boat and ocean and sky and basically looks like a cut scene from the old silent service video game from like the NES. Oh, like, I played that game. It was so hard. It was so, it was so hard and it was impossible. And that shot immediately took me there. And it was, it was like real movie, real movie, real movie, cartoon, real movie, real movie. And I want to know if, if that, am I just being too sensitive or, or have you noticed that? I did not notice that. And that says a lot about. <laughs> and now you will forever. Yeah, will forever. Yeah, this, this gets into the idea. You know, from the intro on this one, I've got a lot of nostalgia around this yeah. movie. And that means that like. That's I'm what you like. Yeah, I'm going back to like, like I'm 17 years old yeah. seeing it. And to be fair, in the, in the filmmaker's defense, if you blinked, took a drink out of your Coke or like, you know, we're not watching it closely. Yeah. I think it's a, it's, it's got to be on screen for what? Like a second. Oh, yeah, it's not, it's not like long that. at all. No, no, def- okay. definitely not. So Josh, the problem is this: you weren't drinking enough when you were watching this, and I think that's the reason why. That you typically is the problem. Yeah, with this criticism, but oh. yeah, no, it's, it's ridiculous. There's no, there's no excuse for that. There's it no excuse happens, for it. We happens get, fast. We get another moment of of sort of digital ships exploding when the American sub blows up. When Bill Paxton's <laughs> sub blows up, right? We we get that again. That one didn't bother me. I don't mm. know why it didn't bother me, but it didn't bother me. But the first one did. It was. It just. I don't, I don't know. I'm going on about it. I don't need to go on about it, but, but good golly guys. Come on. When, yeah. when did Titanic come out? Titanic came out. Oh, in, it was uh, before it was, well, it was before this one. Yeah. Yeah. It was, before, it was before this. And like, like Titanic did the same thing to me, like, you know, big movie. We spent a bajillion dollars on it. I know we're in the beginning of, of like digital effects and stuff. I get it guys, but it, it's a fake boat it, and, and they, and it looks a lot like a fake boat. We could have fixed that. And, and, and here I, th- I think maybe we got the same guys as much as this is a subpar for me. For this movie, in a way, it worked. And the reason it worked for me was because the makeup, like the DNA of this film with the cast and the director and the producers and everything that comes together, it's this weird melange of like high-level movie, but also like low-level television Mm-hmm. And Dino De Laurentiis, and yes. and you put those three things together, and okay, maybe the maybe the the sort of slightly not great animated ship part it sort of works in there. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Anyway, 
I wanted to go on about that for a minute just because I noticed it. I wanted to hear from you whether that was a beloved scene that I am shitting upon or or not. And it sounds like uh, it sounds Blinked like that I missed it, man. Apparently, you are drinking enough when you're ah, when you're watching. That's this. how you do it. <laughs> oh man, well let's get back to this plot because we we ended up in a pickle before we took aboard the German captain. I say we, I mean Mr. Matthew McConaughey takes aboard <laughs> the German captain onto the boat, thinking he's an electrician into uh, the German submarine that is a mess. Thankfully, they have a guy who can fix it, played by Dave Power, whose name is... Tank. Tank. Every movie that has a guy named Tank in it, you know he's going. they're going to do all they can to make him a beloved character. And in this movie, it might not have happened because of Tank's personality, but it was did happen because of his role. He is the guy that can fix this boat, and, and, though, and that will give him some significant plot armor over the course of the film. The fact that we get informed by Matthew McConaughey, by Tyler that this boat only has one torpedo left. Like, we got one, guys. We got to make the one shot count. And the only way that that torpedo is going to count is if you, Tank, can go back there and make it work. Can you do it? And uh, I think at this point in the film, he is not sure he can. It's like blocked in there. Or the, the vacuum sealant's not working or something. So it's just, it's setting that kind of like plot hook of, you know, the torpedo's in there. You just haven't figured out how to get it out yet. And in the process of sort of trying to get the boat in order and figure out what they're going to do, they decide, well, they should probably head for England. There's some discussion, but hey, we're going to head for England. And to get to England, we've got to go through really bad uh, waters with lots of danger there to get there. There is dissension about it, or, or at least questioning of, is this the right move? Tyler makes the understandable. Very, mm, I was going to, that's exactly the word I was going to say. It's very understandable for him to say like, guys, I don't know what to, what the best decision is. Yeah. I didn't have to be in this position. Da, da, da. The kind of thing that like a normal human who is not a stoic submarine captain from the second world war would say, which is that like, we're doing, I'm doing the best I can, dang it. And please stop like, you know, questioning me. I'm, we're going to figure this out. Which immediately afterwards though, you know, out of the sight of the men, Uh, Chief pulls him aside and says, look, you got to understand something. You are the captain now. And the, the, you know, as he puts it, the skipper always knows what to do, even when he doesn't. Even when he doesn't. Even when he doesn't. And this is, this is a, a similar theme, I think, in this moment as we get in other submarine movies, maybe especially Crimson Tide. Uh, with almost a similar line that is these boys are asked to do an unthinkable thing and their only comfort is the belief in the unified chain of command. And mm-hmm. and so it's it's basically the the bosses need to show confidence so that these guys can do their job because it's a scary freaking job. Yeah, it's like Tyler, is, this is like the second time that an older man in the film has chastened him for not acting like a real leader. And so I think this time he's going to get it. Yeah, I think so. I think it'll stick. It's right about then, though, that there's uh, there's an aircraft that gets spotted. Yeah, they get an alert that like they've got an aircraft in the air, and then they, and so everyone runs up to see a plane because hey, why not? Why not? And while they're all on the deck, there's an immediate discussion because again, we have not established that Tyler is in charge charge yet about whether you should shoot this plane the hell down uh-huh. or wave to it for help because it might be able to help you. Oh, wait, it's a German aircraft. We're on a German submarine, which should help our survival, but it's a German aircraft. Is it going to shoot us? Is it going to shoot us? Yeah, it does look like it's flying directly at us and going to open fire on us. The center of this argument, or the instigator maybe of this argument about what to do is Mazzola. Mm-hmm. Hothead Mazzola, who is telling poor Rabbit on the gun, you know, shoot it, shoot it. Mm-hmm. And Rabbit is having this moment of trying to decide, okay, who do I listen to? Do I listen to the captain or do I listen to the guy who really is making a great point that this airplane is flying <laughs> right at us and may kill us? The gunner like eventually listens to Tyler, listens to Matthew McConaughey and does not fire his gun, which is a damn good thing because 
the German like recon plane ends up being connected to another ship that they see yep. approaching, a German destroyer. And for his trouble, Mazzola gets a sock in the mouth by Tyler. Don't you ever question me again. Whap. Acting like a real theater by punching a man in the mouth when he doesn't <laughs> talk, doesn't listen to you. So, yeah. so the so the German destroyer is nearby. This this plane turns out to be essentially a reconnaissance plane for a, a big uh, German ship with guns on it. That's mm-hmm. that's nearby. Which you don't you know if you're in a stolen German submarine. Uh, you don't want to be discovered by the nearby large German boat with guns on it. And so they dive. Remember the German electrician who's actually the Nazi captain that they pulled out of the water? I do remember him, yeah. Yes, he's been camped out in the engine compartment with our good buddy Tank trying to, as he works on the engines, and the German captain decides that, oh, wait, I'm not going to help this American guy out, kicks him in the face and knocks him out and manages to break out of his out of his uh, binds and grab tank's pistol so he's st- and stops the engine so now in addition to their other problems with the destroyer they've got a broken ship on their hands and a nazi captain who is recently rearmed up in the bridge they don't know what's happened right they just know that the ship has stopped that the boat has stopped and so they send mazzola back there or mazzola decides he's going to go figure out what's going on heads back to the room walks through the door sees what has gone on tanks laying on the floor there's the german with the gun and bam Mazzola gets one right in the chest, I think. Yeah, or just like the shoulder or something. And Mazzola is, yeah. he's, Mazzola's no bitch. He gets shot like then, he gets shot again, and then he like <laughs> tries to throttle the captain. And I think like, you know, in the ensuing scuffle, like there's this great like tense moment of they're both going for the gun and you don't know who has it pointed at them. And then you hear the gun go off and you're not, and then both of them have this look of like, oh my gosh, what, like, you know, the gun, the gun went off and you don't know who took the bullet in the chest, but then, Mazzola just gradually like loosens his grip and the captain like shut the Nazi captain shoves him off. So you realize that, Oh, he has won the scuffle and he grabs the gun. And he's getting ready to get up. But then right then the rest of the Americans bust in, call him a Nazi piece of shit and then take his gun away and then chain him to the bunk where he won't be able to cause any more trouble. Right? Wink, 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 wink. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if that weren't bad enough, uh, having the, the loose Nazi captain of electrician, a guy with a gun uh, out on the ship. The destroyer decides, hey, that's our boat, the U-571. You know, we're the resupply ship or whatever. Like, we, we should send our boarding party over there, just like the Americans did before. And so off they go in their little boats heading for the sub with our guys who don't speak German standing on the, uh, on the bridge watching them come. And uh, trying to figure out what the hell do we do now, guys? Oh, yeah. So this is a great scene. Like Matthew McConaughey and all his buddies are decked out in all their Hitler cosplay. Like, you know, watching all of these, like, Germans approach on this landing craft and kind of wondering, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then they know, like, what somebody says, hey, we got a deck gun. What if we shot their ship with our tiny little deck gun? And he's like, well, their ship is bigger than ours. That will not work. But maybe we could hit the radio tower on there preventing them from calling for help and letting them know that we've stolen their stolen the ship and hence the Enigma machine. The goal is basically thread the needle, right? Take this little tiny gun, shoot it in exactly the right place. It's the end of Star Wars. It's we, yes. we have to hit the hole to cause the train reaction that's going to blow up the Death Star. And so yeah. that's what they do. And they take a shot and wouldn't you know it, hits the right place. And just to confirm, you hear a bunch of Germans on the deck of the destroyer saying, they blew up our radio tower. So we know that they did it the way they were supposed to. I'm all right. So and then glad. right then, like um, all of the, everybody on the deck of the U571 hops back in the sub to dive again and try to get away from the destroyer before it blows them the hell out of the water. And the way that they decide to do this is not just to dive, 
they decide that they are going to submerge and essentially close the distance between themselves and this boat so that the, the guns become less effective, you know, the closer they get, and then they can kind of just slip out of sight. The problem is they're in a broken boat, and the broken boat has very little distance to get below the underside of the ship that they are approaching. And if they don't do it right, both ships collide, everybody dies, end of movie. You get this tense moment of all of them, like they're diving, they're hoping they're going to get their, get under it fast enough, and they just barely miss hitting the, hitting the bottom of the destroyer. The destroyer, not to be you know miffed by this, starts dropping depth charges, which is not the first time it's happened in this movie, and it's not going to be the last. the last. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the moment of them trying to make it underneath this ship. There's a couple of things about it. One one is it has a similarity to a scene in Run Silent, Run Deep, um, mm. where they are trying to essentially fire torpedoes that will go just under a supply ship or whatever it is and hit another submarine on the other side of the supply ship. It just has to clear right underneath it. And so we, oh, we got a little wow. bit of an echo of that here. But also, this is another one of those, you know, it's awesome, but it's also hilarious moments of them going under this boat and they're just missing disaster by millimeters. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's like you said before there, when they were turning the ship before there was sort of like a torpedo shaped hole, you know, in the boat that the torpedo could go through. And this time as they're going under, like the curvature even of some of the stuff on the sub is just exactly the right curvature for them to be able to slip underneath this boat. It's German engineering, man. They just like design things perfectly to dodge both torpedoes and the keel of a destroyer. That is Farfignugan, if I've ever seen it. <laughs> they dodge underneath the ship, and then the depth charges start start raining down all onto them, and like depth charges are hitting them and like nearly destroying their ship. And so Matthew McConaughey's character says, like, you know, take us down to 160 meters, which is like 500 feet. Now, remember the egg scene from earlier? I remember. That, that is the implosion scene. And so we were watching, like, you know, all of them kind of freak out and they're getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And so Matthew McConaughey's character says, once we get below these depth charges, we're going to release a bunch of debris and we need, but we need to convince them that they've sunk our ship. And so as kind of training wheels for being that like stoic captain who's willing to sacrifice people. He takes his dead comrade, Missoula, and he puts him in the torpedo tube and fires his dead body out there with a life raft on it to know that he's going to float up to the top and the Germans will think, oh man, we got him. And again, echoes of Run Silent, Run Deep. There is a scene in Run Silent, Run Deep where almost the exact same thing happens to where you know Clark Gable, who is the hardened captain, and Burt Lancaster, who's his second, they find themselves in a situation where there's depth charges and they're just getting the hell beat out of them, and they decide we're going to play dead, um, which I assume this is a thing since it shows up in movies. You know, it's going to show up in a few different ones, but but they you know load the torpedo tubes with garbage and, and other things and a dead body of somebody yeah. that had gotten blown up and shoot it all the way to the top. So we've got a nice homage here, I think, to that film, which is kind of cool. It's a second reference to that one. I wonder if uh, U571's writers had the, that screenplay <laughs> open in front of them when they were working on this. Never watch other movies when you're writing your movie. Oh, no, that's <laughs> good advice. So he, he's taking them to 500 feet. So Tyler says, yeah, we got to take this thing to 500 feet. And everybody's like, 500 feet? Are you sure? Yes, 500 feet. We're going to go below egg depth. And so they do. And there is 
a long sequence of just watching the ship fall apart piece by piece the deeper that they get and the little leak here and the bolt that comes loose there and the the screeching and the the whole body of the ship essentially just like on the edge of implosion but time but they make it yeah, and just in case things weren't tense enough already, uh, Hirsch, the int- German-speaking intelligence guy, tells Matthew McConaughey's character, by the way, if they capture us, they'll torture us and get all, get all of our secrets. So we either need to get out of this or you need to make sure everyone dies. So could gotta, the stakes be higher? Got to do it. Gotta, don't want to be tortured. That would be bad. That's, I've, I've, read, I've read that that's bad. So they, they follow through on their plan. They release the oil and the debris into the water and the, their dead comrade. They fire the ship's junk towards the surface and then they start bringing the boat back up at this moment. Well, they, they, there's a plan developed first, though. So, oh, so you've, yeah. got, you've got Tyler who, who grabs the nearest piece of paper and pencil that he can find and is doing geometry and sketching out, okay, here we are and here's where the, the destroyer is and here's where the depth charges are hitting. And if I can, you know, carry the one... If I can get the boat to surface at this other place, triangulated from where we are, we will A, be safe from the depth charges, and B, we'll have a direct line of sight to fire our one torpedo, by the way. Mm -hmm. Remember, we have one right at this thing and blow it up. And so that is the plan, but just like all good plans, it falls apart almost immediately upon being planned. He orders the boat even deeper. And so they reluctantly, like, you know, agree to it. And like, you know, again, everything you can imagine in the earlier implosion risk moments just gets more intense. More water is getting in, more like things are like, you know, firing off at them. But the boat holds. They get all the way down to 200 meters. And like, you know, the, the one American like it, like a chief says like, man, the crowds really do know how to build a boat. But then the pressure gets too high and everything starts like all the water starts coming in. Yeah. And they realize like, OK, we really like, you know, we have to like blow all of the reserve air tanks and get ourselves to the surface as fast as we can. We do. But supposedly to make this plan work, we have to do it in a controlled fashion. We have to come up at a certain place when we are supposed to. The issue is that the screws, right, the propellers uh, have been sabotaged by the German. And so they have to fix that because without propellers, you're sort of rising as quickly or as slowly as the ocean wants you to rise and and the air pressure wants you to rise, which is what's happening, which means that they are going to surface too early um, unless they can get this thing fixed. And so to get it fixed, there is a leak somewhere, an air leak. That leak is submerged down in the bilge, the water underneath the torpedo room. And they've got to get somebody to go down there. Tank, because he is named Tank, uh, he's is real big. He's real big. He's, he's a, a big, big dude. Thick, thick lad. That's right. And and you can't send the thick lad down to do the thin man's job. And so they have to find a thin person to go down and find this leak. And there are two thin people on board, apparently, that can do Good this. little guys. And they are rabbit and trigger. And so this is where Matthew McConaughey gets his final exam, or I guess is his next to final exam for being a submarine captain. He picks Trigger. He says, Trigger, I'm going to need you to do this. And uh, Tank hooks up Trigger with an air hose that doesn't quite reach as far as it needs to go. But Trigger is like is committed to doing the job and he keeps trying. And Trigger, by the way, had a 50% chance of getting this job, right? It was, it was down to him and Rabbit, and Matthew McConaughey gets this moment of having to sit there and like he looks left at rabbit and he looks right at trigger and he looks left at rabbit and he looks right at trigger True. and and has to figure out which of these buddies essentially that mm-hmm. he is willing to sacrifice paying off Bill Paxton's words from before and, and like we said he picks trigger trigger 
Not terribly thrilled about this prospect, though. Uh, does his job, goes back, dives underneath the water, takes the air hose with him. The hose turns out to be too short. He gets one leak. We get the sort of false hope. He, he finds mm-hmm. one leak, manages to turn it off, but then there's another leak, and it's too far, and to get it, he's going to have to take off the air mask in order to go get it. Tyler and Trigger get this moment of Trigger being, you know, just kind of almost crying. Like, he doesn't want to go back in there, and Tyler just says, like, I need you to do this, though. Like... Yeah, this is your job, dude. Get, yeah. your, your job is to be the tiny man that goes under there and finds the leak. So go find the leak. And while they're in the midst of all this, like, uh, you know, and, they, and like their ruse, is, it seems like it's paying off with the German ship. The uh, guy on the sonar hears that, like, some Morse code is being tapped out somewhere in, like, He's listening closely to it, and all he can he can tell from the Morse code that he, the, the guy is saying, "I am U five seven one, destroy me," and they're all like, "Who who would do this on this ship?" And it's Hirsch, I think that you know the the sonar guy figures it out, but Hirsch almost figures it out before sonar knows what's going on, runs immediately to where they have tied up the German captain and sees him tapping the hull, you know, it's, uh, d- uh, trying to warn his compatriots uh, up uh, topside. And uh, he gets a wrench to the face, and that's that. That is that. And then Hirsch just comes back and says, it's done. You know, it's like, which is kind of a neat, a neat like, character turn for that guy. Because he presents most of the movie, like, direly warning people or freezing up at the moment of climax. And Hirsch, he gets the gusto to uh, hit the Nazi in the face with a wrench and end the threat. So Nazi is done. Trigger is underneath the water, has found the second leak, but just can't get to it and makes the decision to go after it without the air mask, goes after it without the air mask. There is a depth charge or something else that happens, and there is a sort of a collapse that traps Trigger then underneath the water with no air. And with his last ounce of strength, he reaches out and secures the leak, and the boat is provided power again, which means they can control their ascent. And allowed to fire their final torpedo, which they have managed to line up, you know, right at the critical moment. He flips the valve, the torpedo has has the pressure to launch, they fire it, and hits the destroyer, blowing it up. Game over. Game over. They did it. We got rid of the German captain that was on board. We managed to, uh, to surface in the right place. We managed to fire the torpedo where it was supposed to fire. Boom. The destroyer is gone. The threat is gone. But loose ends obliterated. Right. But tank comes back in without trigger, and the only like line tank says trigger drowned. Poor trigger doesn't even get like a moment of just like the shot of him being like you know unconscious or anything like that. It's just no. He went down and never came back again. We never saw him again. He's gone. That takes us kind of right to the end. Everything is uh, is safe except for you know trigger. They abandon this boat finally they've been on uh, u571 and finally the chief says you know permission to abandon ship and uh, is given that permission everybody gets off they take the enigma machine with them uh, hop into boats and row into the sunset where they are at sea apparently for days and days and days and days and we get a, a nice last moment with them where a navy aircraft spots them they are saved end of movie yay yay so it has a happy ending. It does. They all get away except for Trigger and everybody else that died. And everybody else that died, including <laughs> Bill Paxton and an entire submarine of other people. Mm-hmm. But who's counting? Well, that's U571. And like I said, this was my first time watching this film. It was, it was your you know, 101st time watching this film. And so it's kind of interesting to hear the perspective of someone who's seen it so many times. Did it hold up for you? Yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning, like I still love this movie for what it is. Like, it fits so nicely as like a throwback World War II style movie. Like in the sense that like, you know, 
it's got like some modern touches like a lot of the special a lot of the special effects and the production values are good with the exception of the cartoon boat that made josh's heart break at the beginning of the movie <laughs> but um it's just besides that like in terms of style and substance it feels like something that could have been made in like the 50s or 60s like it's very like mm-hmm. you get patriotic music amid sweeping shots of the sub in the atlantic you know it's like the nazis like shoot castaways pleading for help just so you know that they're bad man like you know the americans are the ones you trust you know when the navy intelligence guy pulls up his car literally has a bunch of boxes labeled explosives like they're making <laughs> this easy on you and like what I love is despite having a pretty good cast for this movie and none of them like phone it in, but it's very like a workmanlike performance. Like this is like, you know, it's like, yep, we are going to do this job and we have lots of stoic faces and measured tones and speeches about sacrifice and, you know, what it takes to do the right thing. And what I love about this is this movie came out in 2000, like right after Saving Private Ryan, yeah. Thin Red Line. Like you had these movies that showed that you could take the kind of tired trope of the World War II movie and like turn it into high level artistry that was like Oscar bait, worthy of just all kinds of praise. But you get the sense that these filmmakers like saw all that and they were like, so we could make this complex, stirring war film about the plight <laughs> of sailors on both sides. Or, or, or we could make a badass sub movie with underwater shootouts and code breaking of Nazi captains in disguise. I mean, even the title of this movie feels kind of throwback to me. Like, this producer, I don't know how they ever let it fly. Like, we got to grab the audience's attention. So, what are we going to call this movie? How about a vowel in three numbers? <laughs> Stop drilling, you've hit oil. That is our title. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those ones that watching it now after like years and years of being a writer and everything, I have to admit, like, it's too simple. I dig the simplicity from a nostalgic point of view, but like, the biggest thing that I noticed for me is is a character thing is Matty McConaughey's character, Tyler, he mostly has his character's strength and weaknesses described to him rather than mm-hmm. like shown in a lot of the movie. It's like people saying things like, you know, you're a great executive officer. You're a good man. You'll get your chance. Like, you know, but you don't have the courage to sacrifice people. And it's just classic, like tell not show in this case. Like, yeah. like it, it would not have been hard to give us a possible prologue right here. U five seven zero, if you will. So we see, like, just imagine a scene. We see Tyler leading his men in naval action. Maybe he's in charge of the subs, like, above water guns. They're shooting at German bombers and fighters. But amidst, like, the chaos of this fighting scene, like, one of his men gets cast overboard. We see him pleading for help. We know he needs to focus on manning the guns, but he can't bring himself to let the guy float by himself. So he stops firing the guns to go save the guy. And in the process, he saves his friend, but then the ship behind some blows up. So imagine if we use, all we needed was a little prologue like that. And you would have seen like, Oh, he cares about his men too much yeah. to make the hard decisions. As a result, more people get killed. Like if you had a scene like that, you would have had the narrative explanation. You wouldn't have to have people say over and over again, this is what your problem is, man. <laughs> it is tell, don't show. And to me, part of that, I think is in keeping with a good half of of who's making this film are television people. Yeah. And so that is a natural thing I think in that environment and we're trying to meld maybe two different sensibilities here into a theatrical product and you know maybe that has something to do it maybe it doesn't but it did read to me a little bit like TV drama in parts. That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. It's a very good explanation for why they might be trying to take some shortcuts there. You you know we were talking about this throwback feel to the whole movie. Which honestly and truly, 
I think back when this came out, and I'm thinking back to 2000, I love submarine movies, right? No secret. Mm -hmm. I did not see U-571 until, what is it, 21 years later. And the reason I didn't, I blame on the trailer because the trailer made it feel like a DOS boat rehash. Yeah. That's what it felt like in the trailer. And I thought, oh, this is just a copy of DOS Boat somehow. I didn't know what the plot was, you know. It, and so it, I thought, oh, I don't need to see that. I've seen DOS Boat. But now, having seen it and looking back on it, I can appreciate what it is, which is the, like you said, it is it is sort of a modern day old style movie, very similar to a lot of, you know, other World War II movies with your Gary Coopers and with your Clark Gables and all of those things back in the day. Yeah, the thing that does hold up for me is it's U571 does a stellar job of mixing the kind of sneaky, tense, quiet moments of like, oh no, are they going to hear us? And then with the, oh, holy sh- we're under fire like you know like death charges are going off like what are we going to do like and that's like what you want from a submarine movie is yeah. you want that a little the stealth mixed in with the like balls to the wall action when i watch a submarine movie there's like three things that i need and for me to consider it a submarine movie and not a movie with submarines in it right Indeed. I, like you said i need it to have these tense moments of listening you know there's something out there and when will it hit us and when will it not that i need I need a unified chain of command. I need to see that sort of action of people doing their one little task. You know, it's the phrase that has crept out of submarine movies and into my personal life where I use it often, which is mind your panel. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you do your one you do your one thing. The third thing I need is I need the lingo. I need them to be talking to me in a language all their own that I have come to understand over time. And this movie the delivers fish the tubes. The fish in the tubes. <laughs> and, and this movie delivers every single one of those things. Yeah. And the thing I alluded to earlier that I thought was so interesting about it is that like this is a completely fictional movie. And like they they took like a piece of real history that the Enigma machine machine existed and there are there were submarines in the Second World War. And they made a completely original story out of it, which I really love. Because a lot of times now it's like the movie has to be based on a hit book or it needs to be based on an actual historical event. And I love that these guys actually made something up for it though that did get them in some hot water with the um with the british navy who uh, when this movie came out because the british sailors discovered and cracked the enigma machine in 1941 this got run all the way up the flagpole to prime minister tony blair who called u571 an affront oh. to british sailors because it made it look like americans were the ones that solved the enigma machine you know he's not wrong yeah. He's well, not wrong. Well, my favorite part about it was that the first ones to crack the code were actually the Poles. But, you know, it's like we they, the Brits wanted their credit for grabbing the machine first. And I do love that Bill Clinton's response, because he was president at the time, was basically saying, you know, it's a movie, right? <laughs> like, Tony, it's a fictional story. <laughs> like, it's like, it's almost, if you look in there, it's like this is a work of fiction. Yeah. <laughs> He's just yeah. saying, so if you listen to this podcast and you're a true patriot, you can also enjoy U571 <laughs> for nearly reigniting the American war for independence. <laughs> Taking that sort of historical backing and building an original story around it, there is an art to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do appreciate how that was done and being able to realistically, you know, give or take, right? Realistically portray that period in time in a way that is also, like you said, nail-biting and entertaining and, and you know, all that kind of stuff is, is pretty good mm-hmm. stuff. It's a fun movie. It is a fun movie to watch. It has a good cast and stuff happens in it. So, you know, it ticks all the boxes as a submarine movie, I think. 
yeah, it's a fun movie. And like, that's why like when you're in the mood for like, you know, I want an action packed, well-executed sub movie, but I don't want to think too hard. U571 is your movie. It is an unambitious success. They aimed for what they wanted to make and they executed on that perfectly. See the movie, man. I mean, it might not yeah. be one that everyone in your household wants to watch, but like on that time that like you are deciding that you want to watch a great sub flick set in the Second World War, this one will not disappoint. That's a good recommendation. We'll be right back. What if, and follow me here, what if the Mona Lisa at the Louvre Museum in Paris is a fake? Or what if artist Vincent Van Gogh, you know, the sunflowers and starry night guy, he didn't kill himself, but instead was actually murdered. You'll hear these incredible stories and a lot more when you subscribe to the Art Curious podcast. How did a cutthroat rivalry between two Renaissance masters culminate in one of the greatest artworks of all time? And was a British painter actually the real Jack the Ripper? On Art Curious, host and, truth be told, my lovely voiced wife Jennifer Dassel explores the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. And do you need to love art or even know anything about it to love this show? Are you kidding me? Before listening to Art Curious, I knew exactly nothing about fine art or the weird and amazing stories that seem to follow around some of its most iconic works and artists. Like, how did Leonardo's Salvador Mundi become the most expensive artwork ever sold at auction? And where has it disappeared to ever since? A best of recommendation by reviewers at Oh The Oprah Magazine, PC Magazine, Salon, Uproxx, it goes on and on. Art Curious is podcast storytelling for the art lover and the art novice, like me, and maybe you. It's the juiciest, the most shocking, and the most fascinating tales from the world of paintbrushes, printmakers, and patrons. Season 9 is out now, so subscribe today to the Art Curious Podcast with Jennifer Dassel and find out more about the show at artcuriouspodcast.com or by searching for Art Curious, that's one word, in your favorite podcast app. The Art Curious Podcast, that's A-R-T-C-U-R-I-O-U-S. The Art Curious Podcast, subscribe for Season 9 now. It's U571 time on Subgenre. I am here talking about the film with Mr. Alan Mall. Let's do the deep dive. On the deep dive, we take a little turn down a back alley and talk about something related to the film that isn't the film. And today, I'm kind of hoping maybe we can chat about World War II films uh, in general. Oh, man. So for those that, uh, you know, never, ever, ever learned anything about history, there was a very big war about 70 or so years ago that involved the entire world. It was actually the sequel to another war that happened before. And they made a lot of movies about this. You Lots. have seen a couple of them. Lots. And some damn fine films included in the list of all of the World War II films that have oh been made. God. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everyone listening to this podcast probably has a favorite one. And uh, my thing is, I took some film classes in college, and I also like movies, like war movies in general. Like, I feel like if it's a World War II movie, it was either that I've seen, it was either some Hollywood blockbuster like Saving Private Ryan, or it was like a film schools type movie about the Second World War, like The Bridge, like one of those ones that's about German teenagers that are enlisted in fighting in the very last like battle of like the European campaign. I actually am kind of the opposite. Watching World War II movies is probably the single biggest 
bonding activity I had with my father as a child. Like it was World War II movies and hot tea and a Danish. Like that's just what you did. So I grew up on these things, the good ones and the terrible ones. And as much as I can look at a lot of them now and go, oh yeah, that might be a problematic film. I do have an appreciation for World War II films. And like you said, they do kind of run the gamut. There are the giant, you know, the Saving Private Ryans and the Thin Red Lines and the the Dunkirks and, you know, all of those types of things. But then there's the other ones that kind of stick out. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know what your depth is on this, but like Von Ryan's Express or the Guns of Navarone or The Great yeah. Escape. Yeah. And like, it's also fun that it's like, it's such a, the, the war itself gives you such a big narrative context. You even get ones like Hearts War, which is not a great movie, but like, it's like, it's a murder mystery isn't among, that Bruce Willis? Is that um, Hearts War? Maybe. I'm thinking of the one with, uh, what's his name? The Irish actor that was in... Uh, oh, I'm definitely wrong in, then. I'm definitely in, wrong. In Bruce. Well, Bruce Willis might have been the older guy. I can, I can only picture like a... Ah, crap. Hang on. I'm looking now. I, we're going we're gonna to find out. Yeah, he's on the poster. Hearts, right. Hearts War with Bruce Willis. Yes. It's like it was a murder mystery set like an American like, you know, POWs in, in like a POW camp. And it's like that's a cool premise for a story for a movie. And it's like the fact that World War II can encompass like all of that is like a neat like it's a good narrative background for anybody that wants to make a film. Yeah. So, OK, so if you're if you're thinking about the World War II films that you have seen, what would you call your favorite? And what would you call your least favorite? I got to go with like Saving Private Ryan, just because I know that's going to be a popular choice, but just like that was the one that taught me that like, oh, you can make one about this war that I've always been taught was this big patriotic campaign, but make it gritty, make it realistic, make and really give you a sense of just like, oh, like this was a this was not something that cleanly happened. I mean, just the comparison of the D-Day scenes between like the longest day and like that one. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, like man, these guys just died as soon as the ships opened. Like, it gives you a sense of just, like, what the scale and horror of that war was like. Because that's probably my favorite. When it, yeah, I mean, picking the worst one, like, you know, it's it's hard for me just to, like, I, I think I might have just blanked that one out of my head. So it's hard for me to immediately reach in and grab, like, oh, that, this, this one was terrible. I think maybe the correct answer is there is not a bad World War II movie. That is the right answer. That's I the mean, right that answer. Is, it's just, you just have to have to be in the right moment. That's right. The movie is not well made. Picking a, your favorite World War II movie is very difficult for me, but I think if I'm going to, I'm kind of torn between two movies. And the good thing is that they both star Lee Marvin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's either it's either the, the Dirty Dozen or the Big Red One. I, mm-hmm. I think probably uh, come in somewhere near the top of my list. And, uh, you know, maybe just for the fact that the Big Red One also has Mark Hamill in it. So you get yes, Mark sir. Hamill and uh, uh, Lee Marvin. Maybe you just can't beat that. So where do you feel like, uh, as a recent U571 watcher, where do you feel like that fits on your World War II echelon? It's interesting because I almost, meant again, mentally, I sort of separate submarine films from World War okay. II films. But if we're talking about where does it lie in the World War II submarine, like sub-sub-genre, it's got a good place on it. I think it fits solidly maybe somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah. So at least, so At least so far. we may You may convince me by the end of this to go even higher, but for the moment... Yeah. Good deal. Good, Good deal. deal. Well, with that conversation out of the way, it's time for You Can't Handle the Truth. You Can't Handle the Truth is our quiz segment. Uh, this is uh, where I am going to give you some multiple choice questions. Your job is to figure out the correct answer. And if you can do that for a majority of these questions, you win a fabulous prize. Today, you are going to be playing for 
a waterlogged Enigma cipher machine. So that's what? that is the goal today, Alan. But I just can't wait. You got to get this. Don't get torpedoed. Uh, Did I do that right? Well, no, that was that was perfect. Flawless. Okay. Fantastic. All right, you ready to play? Mm-hmm. Okay, listen close because here comes question number one. Aspiring actors take all kinds of outside gigs. Which of these jobs did U571 cast member Harvey Keitel not work before his big break? Was it A, an introverted court stenographer, B, a terrible women's shoe salesman, or C, a non-murderous taxi driver? Which one did Harvey Keitel not do before his big break? Uh, I got to go with stenographer. You're going with an introverted court stenographer? That's correct. No, I'm sorry. Actually, uh, the job that he did not do was uh, he was not a a non-murderous taxi driver. He was a court stenographer. I know he was a court stenographer and he did sell women's shoes. Reportedly, he took the court stenographer job because uh, uh, he figured it was a job where he didn't have to talk to people. That's so funny, man. You don't figure like you don't figure Kaitel being like introverted, but there you go. There you go. All right, that's okay. You got two other questions to to okay. try and get here. Don't worry about it. Let's move on to question number two. Long before actor Bill Paxton became a silver screen fixture, he found himself present for an infamous moment in U.S. national history. What was it? Was it A, in 1963, he had his photo taken near President Kennedy in Dallas hours before his assassination? B, in 1972, he unknowingly held the door open for the Watergate burglars. Or C, in 1979, he blew up records at Disco Demolition Night in Chicago's Comiskey Park. The disc jockey one. The disc jockey one, C, in uh, 1979, he blew up records. Are you sure? Is that the one you want to go with? Yes. No, Alan, I'm sorry. Actually, it was in 1963, he had his photo taken near President Kennedy on the day Kennedy was uh, assassinated. If you go to the sixth floor uh, museum in Dallas, uh, supposedly, you can actually see a young Bill Paxton in some of the photos that are in there. That's crazy. Fun fact. Uh, Fun fact. You're you're two uh, zero for two at this point, but I think you can redeem yourself entirely. We can get this third one. one. Triple or nothing. Here we go. (laughs) The U in U-boat stands for the German word Unterseeboot or undersea boat. The first German-built submarine, the three-man Brandtacker, built in 1851, definitely earned this description when it did what? Was it A, it dove straight out of port and remained submerged for the next 80 straight days, shattering the world record at the time? B, it sailed submerged nonstop around the world, from east to west and then from north to south? Or C, it was launched for its first test dive and promptly sank to the bottom of the ocean. It's got to be C. Uh, C, it was launched for its first test dive and promptly sank to the bottom of the ocean. That is correct, Alan Mall. You ended up getting your question right, and it was a German language uh, infused question as well. So good on you. How it goes, man. My my wife was a German major, so clearly I've finally learned something from her. Oh, she's going to be very pleased. She's going to be very pleased. Well, that's excellent. I'm very happy for you. Unfortunately, you did not win the Enigma code machine, but Mm. uh, I think we can probably give you the code books that would have gone with it, though they may be a little waterlogged. Yeah, as long as they're soaked in, uh, you know, I think McConaughey's tears and the Barney Waters. (laughs) the Atlantic. I think I'll be okay with that. That's all right. Well, I think you have a question to try to stump me. So uh, 
give it a go. Here we go. So the pride of New Jersey, uh, the rocker John Bon Jovi, he had a minor role in U571 as Tyler's officer buddy Emmett, as we discussed earlier. So while Bon Jovi is usually more of a cameo guy, he followed up U571 as a recurring character in 10 episodes of the final season of this legal comedy drama. So are you ready? Yeah. Was it A, The Lion's Den with Rob Lowe? B, Boston Legal with James Spader and William Shatner? C, Ally McBeal with Callista Flockhart? Or D, The Practice with Dylan McDermott? Oh, you know what? It's a guess, but it, I, I have a I got strong- a clue for you. Okay, give you. me a clue. Yeah, give me the clue. Give me the clue. Okay. The show ran on Fox from 97 to 2002. And as I said, it ended the same season John Bon Jovi was in it. So the cancellation probably wasn't his fault, but it might have been. Got it. Okay. Ran on Fox, 97 to Got 2002. It. So he's probably uh, probably a little more handsome than the dancing baby, but I'm going to go with Ally McBeal. That is correct. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, man. That, would it, you have gotten that without the clue? I think so. I, was, I, I think you would have. Just because he's John freaking Bon Jovi, and it seems like if he belongs on, you know, if a pretty boy like Bon Jovi belongs on any show, it is probably Ally McBeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there we go, Alan. It, it looks like... Uh, you and me both uh, have something to cheer about. We made it. We got through. You can't handle the truth. Good job. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, we're kind of coming to the end of things, but that gets us to Rave Rental or Refund. In Rave Rental or Refund, we are giving our final thoughts on U571. Is it a rave? I would go see it the first day in the theater when it came out back in 2000, if I had a time machine. It's a rental. I'm going to find it from Redbox or uh, download it or torrent it or whatever. Don't torrent, kids. Don't, Don't torrent. torrent. Um, or I'm going to go and uh, demand a refund. I think I know what your answer is going to be, but Alan Mall, rave, rental, or refund? This is a rave. And the good news is, now that it's made in 2000 and you have it now, you can rent it whenever you want to. So it's the perfect movie for the perfect time. When you need to watch an uncomplicated sub flick set in the Second World War, you will not be able to do better than U571. I'm going to go with rental. I think if you would ask me years ago, obviously, uh, you know, would I see this? I think just off of immediate impressions, I would have been a refund. I would have said, ah, no, it's a it's a derivative of Das Boat. But having seen it, I liked it. I thought it was fun. Is it my favorite sub movie ever? Nah, probably not. But is it a movie that I enjoyed sitting down and watching? I did. I'd pay some rental dollars for that. Beautiful. Excellent. Well, uh, Alan Mall, thank you so much for being on Subgenre. Thank you for taking the time to be here and talk about one of the films that you love so dearly. Tell the people about yourself, where they can find you, and what we need to know. Well, yeah, anybody that wants to uh, follow me online, the best place is probably Twitter. My Twitter handle is MullerBaller. That's M-A-U-L-E-R and then B-A-L-L-E-R. So just at MullerBaller. And I tweet about all kinds of stuff, writing, politics, uh, a lot of things about tacos and theater. And when you can go and see a, a Mahler Baller production, you got any stage productions coming up? Anything we need to be aware of? Yeah, sadly, theaters are mostly on hiatus now until everybody's immunized from COVID. So go get your shots, kids. But I did have a Zoom play that was produced recently, and I'm hoping I can get that on the stream and I'll be able to like put that out on my Twitter handle so you'll be able to see it that way. It was a play that was written entirely to be performed on Zoom. That would be awesome. I would love to do that. Darn COVID. But uh, when we're back, everybody, go and see an Alan Mall production. Alan Mall, thank you for being here. It was a joy, Josh. Thanks for having me. This has been Subgenre, a podcast about the movies. 
Subgenre is a production of Kabunki and is recorded and mixed at Studio K. This episode was written, produced, and hosted by me, Josh Dassel, alongside my guest host, Alan Mall. Our theme music is Still Room on the Night Train by Ketza featuring Solar Flare. If you love the show and need some more, subscribe and leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. Believe me when I say it's massive in helping other listeners find us just like you did. You can support us with a donation and visit our website at subgenrepodcast.com. We also do the Insta and Twitter thing, both at subgenrepod. We'll welcome you back soon for our next episode. But in the meantime, please remember, we're all different. So no matter what your subgenre, be kind to who you meet. That's a wrap. Kabunki.